This is the Everyman Podcast. My name is Dan Doty. This is episode 102 with author and TV host Cleo Stiller. Something magical has been happening since the last episode. Last week, we went live with our group's organizing tool on our website. This simply means that now go on our website, click on groups, and you can start your own group. And you can also search for existing groups by zip code and location. This has been a long time coming. I want to shout out to Andrew Kippen on our team who happened to be our guest last week. Check out that podcast if you haven't. But he did the heavy lifting on building that tool and uh, he crushed it. And what's been happening is that we are getting a steady flow of new groups being launched by the day. (laughs) Every time I check my email, I'm, you know, almost slightly annoyed by how many I have to go and read, but it is, it's beautiful and it's amazing. So there are every man groups literally popping up around the country and the globe right now. I just had an awesome breakfast with a colleague and friend of mine who's starting our first Russian every man group in Kazan, uh, Hell yeah, there's some translation happening for our materials in order for that to happen. I also want to shout out to Matt McKella, who is the editor and producer of this podcast, and he is also the one you'll be interfacing with about our groups. Uh, He's putting in a lot of work. He's a foundations graduate. Just want to give him some props here, too. And also just throw out some some thank yous and props to the whole Everyman team. Right now, we are working really hard and really in a great swing of things, and uh, everybody's been pitching in and really excited for for where it's taking us right now. Part of the work we've been doing is this amazing, exciting list of events that we have coming up. So I have been talking about our third anniversary open source. This is December 6th to 8th at Racebrook Lodge in the Berkshires in Massachusetts, and I think it's sold out. I mean, it's not quite. There's a couple tickets left, but I record this a couple days in advance, and um, I'm loath to say that uh, most likely by the time you're hearing this, there's no spots left. Um, which is exciting, but we will be in that same location the week right after, the weekend right after, the 13th to the 15th. This is for our MELT, uh, Men's Emotional Leadership Training. So for men who have some deep experience already, maybe you've sat in a different organization in circles or you've done some real deep therapy or you are a therapist or a coach uh, and you're ready to become a trained facilitator. Melt training is like the first step deep dive to become uh, the wielder of this really beautiful, simple uh, technology that we use to help get men to open up and get healthy. So Melt is coming up in December. We have, uh, I think, about 12 to 15 spots left for that. So check it out. Go on our website, everyman.com, and look at that. I'll also highlight uh, what's coming up. We have started selling tickets to our next wilderness expedition. This is in March we will be floating in canoes a stretch of wilderness river on the colorado river just below the hoover dam this is going to be a pretty wild and amazing trip Um, i'm personally leading this and i'm excited to share you can find that on the website as well and then i'll just throw out these last ones uh if you are on the west coast or the midwest and you're looking for an open source we have a couple more open sources coming up we have one at 29 Palms outside of Joshua Tree in Southern California in February. We have our Midwest retreat just outside of Columbus, Ohio in March also. We will be doing more melts. Uh, they're not up online yet. And then this last one I'm just going to tease out there. We are building a new retreat called Open Source 2. And this is just for alumni of Open Source 1 and Melt. So guys who are in our community, we have not launched this yet. It is not up and available yet. But I want to tease it and put it out there. If you have been to one of our retreats, Open Source 2 is going to be a straight up deep, 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 deep dive. Owen Marcus and I are developing it, designing it right now, and uh, we're really not going to hold anything back on this. We're going to make this um, a pretty wild and beautiful experience. So for the short term, send us an email at info uh, at everyman.com, and we can start to uh, point you in the right direction if that is interesting to you. All right. Today's episode, this week's episode, my guest is Cleo Stiller. And uh, to share vulnerably for a second, we did this interview twice because the first time uh, I must have forgot to hit record. I don't think I did, but the recording didn't exist. So uh, I did. And I'm actually kind of excited because we had a warm up round and I really enjoyed talking to Cleo. So she just wrote a book and it literally comes out the day that this podcast drops, Tuesday, November 12th, 2019. Her book, Modern Manhood, hits the shelves. 
So she spent a good chunk of her life diving in uh, and listening to men and asking men questions. And she broke out her book, Modern Manhood, into seven categories. And we talk a bunch about these uh, on the episode, things like friendship, dating, parenting, work, money, sex, basically these large categories of life. And uh, she's an incredible journalist. She has a, a wonderful point of view on this. And I'm really impressed with her book. I got an early copy of it and I really like it. So check it out. It's at all the places that you can get books. I'm looking at it right now on Amazon. It's called Modern Manhood Conversations about the complicated world of being a good man today. A little more about Cleo. She's an Emmy and Peabody Award nominated health reporter. uh, And she was the host of a TV show called Sex Right Now. Uh, Again, very, very uh, excited about this and our relationship with her and this podcast. So we'd love to hear what you think about this. And I'm really excited to share her work with you. All right, enough yakking. Enjoy the show. Awesome. All right. Um, we'll just uh, start with a little vulnerability for all the listeners here. Yeah, this is the second time that this recording is happening. Um, I goofed up and, and did not record our first conversation. Uh, but Cleo, I just enjoyed talking to you so much that we, we just had to, we had to do it again. So <laughs> welcome back. <laughs> well, Thank well, you. Lovely to be here. <laughs> welcome back. Can you, where, are you, where are you in the world right now? I'm in New York City at my home base. I, I do travel a lot, but I'm in New York for the launch of Modern Manhood, which happens on November 12th. Which is the date that this podcast is coming out. So per- perfect timing. Perfect Modern time. Manhood, we're going to spend probably pretty much all of our time talking about your new book. Um, very excited for many reasons. I'm excited about your new book. Uh, but f- before we drop into that, I'll have introduced you already, but t- tell, tell us what you care about in life. Like what, what is most important to you, Cleo? Oh, wow. <laughs> well, uh, it does seem like every year I get a personal upgrade, but um, I, I have been a journalist and reporter for about eight years now. And I initially got into this business um, to, to elevate people's stories who you did not typically hear from okay. um, and to share stories in a way that ultimately, you know, shed made us all feel more connected, um, shed light on more intimate areas of our life that we, you know, previous, you know, well, let me be specific here, right? So I, I yeah. have a new book con- coming out called Modern Manhood, um, which sort of chronicles the hopes, fears, confessions of men um, and women and non-binary folks all over the country as they, you know, figure out what it means to be a good man right now. Uh, we know we're kind of at this cultural shift, right? But before that, I hosted a television show called Sex Right Now with Cleo Stiller. Um, very provocative title, but it was It is a really provocative like title. A... <laughs> 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 I chose it. I chose it. Um, strategic. My dad, when he heard it, he was like, wait, what happened? I thought you were into international politics because um, I had got my start in journalism at Bloomberg covering financial news. So yeah. that transition was a little rocky for him. But the show itself, while the title was intentionally provocative, the show dealt with um, you know topics. It was kind of this intersection of politics, relationships, health, reproductive rights, and technology right? Because when, the, when I first created this show in 2014, which was only five years ago, but that's dog years in terms of how our country has progressed, right? Like in 2014, President Obama was in office, the Supreme Court had just legalized same-sex marriage, and Tinder had just hit the mainstream. Isn't just that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Five um, years ago? And so it's... So, 
it's, yeah. it's such an insane correction we're going through now. Um, it's, it's wild. Yeah. So that show was created back then, right? Because we had, you know, and right, younger folks, younger than me are still doing this, right? But we had shifting notions of gender identity, what was legal, how people were meeting, how they were finding each other. It was such a, just an unprecedented time in some ways um, that that was kind of what the show was about. And even though we spent a lot of time um, exploring technology and new frontiers, what we were ultimately doing was sharing stories from people all over the country that, you know, this might be a community or a person who's living such a different life than you, but we are, we were telling the story in a way that you're like, Oh, I get it. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that's not my personal life, but that's like a very human experience. I can relate to that emotion. I can relate to that. Um, and that is, has always been what's driven my storytelling and my journalism, um, Amazing. Yes. So it was like you were documenting uh, what sex looked like for different people in probably uh, surprising ways to other people. That am I am I following that fairly correctly? Oh, totally. Did and you watch not, reels? Not- Did you watch like when I was a kid and I got someplace that had HBO and I think it was called Real Sex? Did you ever watch that? So of course I saw that and, and everyone always references that show, that show and also Loveline. Okay. And I do want to tell you that the coolest thing um, is that Dr. Drew just bought Modern Manhood and they sent me a photo of it. So nice. So cool to be linked back to the man who's, you know, Adam Carolla and Dr. Drew did Loveline. So we got that reference. But also, yes, I did get the HBO show. Here's the deal though. That show treated... Well, first of all, it's just about sex and sex yeah. right now dealt with so many other things. Got it. But um, that treated sex and intimacy in this way that was like kind of freaky deaky and voyeuristic. It and was freaky like, deaky. And it, you know? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> um, and I, you know, like I kind of described, I mean, I, I have n- personally as like as a human and a, a reason I'm a really good person to report on, on intimate stories, I don't, I'm very curious and I'm very empathetic and I really don't have a lot of, like, I don't judge, right? All my reporting is always kind of like no stigma, no shame, no judgment. Um, but that being said, I do like, I like the lights on. I like things like out in the open. I like, um, and I'm just like describing sort of the aesthetic of my show, which was also like white and bright and out in the open and like nothing dark and late because I really you know have this like really what the show was doing was like we knew again right because 2014 dog years ago but YouTube was brand not brand new but like this was the time where everyone was going to YouTube tutorials for information about everything so when it was coming to like online dating and STIs and reproductive rights and like what is happening in my body? I don't even, yeah, that stuff. We knew people were flooding YouTube with medically inaccurate information and show our, our show was kind of like, no, this is the benchmark for accuracy and health right here. So the show was like, was not voyeuristic. It has yeah. some stuff that you might be like, I mean, we did, we talked about like period sex. We talked about um, gender identity and gender fluidity and body confidence and, um, you know, it might be stuff that you hadn't experienced firsthand, but like, it wasn't freaky deaky. Right. It wasn't. Like, well, fine. I'm so glad. Well, that it makes perfect sense though. And, and what the sort of the lines that I'm, the connections I'm drawing right now is how you're talking about, uh, reporting on, you know, sort of out of the box sexuality. It's interesting to consider, uh, the subject of modern manhood, and let's just call yes. it it's interesting to consider modern manhood in a similar, um, you know, I don't think we're not necessarily talking about taboo, or maybe we are. I mean, but we're talking about things that aren't uh, right. They're not in the light. They're not, they're not, the, the lights aren't on and they're not, um, uh, people are not easily talking about these things. And right. Might be changing, exactly. But 
yeah, is I mean, is that is that part of why you moved uh, toward this book and why you took this project on? Is that did that resonate for you? Well, that's totally the through line there. So nice job. Um, the reason I actually did this book is because while I was hosting the show, uh, 2017 happened, Harvey Weinstein, Me Too hit the mainstream. And I started having a lot of people who watch my show, mostly straight men, writing into me being like, are you going to do a season on this? Because I have so much to say about what's happening right now. But I'm afraid to say anything because I don't want to get in trouble. And then inevitably, they would ask me a question. And it would have been a question that like, you know, had they asked me three years earlier would have sounded really basic and a little silly. But given everything that has happened, uh, I'm like, I don't know. So, right. So, for example, right, they'd be like, I have so much to say, but I'm afraid to say anything. And, okay, I'm a single dude, and I'm terrified to approach women now. I don't want to wind up the next Aziz Ansari. What do I do? Or I'm a dad uh, of a young boy, and I'm kind of young myself, and I'm watching this Kavanaugh hearing, and I'm like – shit, how do I even raise a good son right now? Or I'm a hiring manager. And I wouldn't say this publicly, but I'm afraid to work with my female staff alone, right? Yep. So these questions were piling in on my, in my inbox. And I just thought, wow. I knew because these messages were coming in that men really care about what's happening right now and they have a lot to say and they want to be a part of the conversation. But I also knew um, because I was being invited to events about Me Too and speaking on panels about it that often these events were um, attended by women and survivors and people would look around and be like, where are the men? There are no men here. Right. Men don't care about right. this. And it was a really weird place to be because I was like, no, they do care about this. They are having these conversations. Like they're, I know that guys are talking about this on group text with their friends. They're like fumbling through it with their partners at home. Um, we just don't have a forum for guys to express themselves. And we don't, we just have multiple conversations happening at the same time, but not with everyone at the same table. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Amazing. Absolutely. And I'm cu- I'm curious just to, you know, we don't have to get too personal, but what, what was you, what was your sort of, I don't know, personal stance toward men? you like, get along with them. Not get, I mean, it seemed you, you write this book from such a, um, I mean, is it just journalistic integrity that allows you to be so, um, it, it does seem clean and empathetic and, um, but I, I don't know. I mean, generally, were you uh, happy and have good, good relationships with men in your life? <laughs> <laughs> with men? I mean, I, I know that people who watch my show they, this book makes total sense to them because I always, always presented my stories in this way that was, again, no stigma, no judgment. Yeah. But I will say on social media, a lot of people who do not watch my show or are not familiar with my work, um, their immediate question is, who do you think you are? Uh, you're huh. one person and you're a woman. Why could, why would you ever attempt to write about this? And And I get that sort of defensiveness. And I also think a lot of women kind of fear that I might be apologizing for men. So there's, there's like Mm. on both sides, people have a lot of feelings, but why is a woman writing this? And I, I do think that it was important for a, here's the deal, right? Again, we know that men care about what's happening right now. We know obviously women and survivors care about what's yeah. happening right now. And we yeah. need more opportunities where we're communicating together. And I completely understand why some survivors are in such a traumatic space. Like they're not, they're not maybe able to have fully empathetic conversations with strangers or folks across the country about this, but I am, and I'm, 
I'm a very empath like before woman, before man, I'm an empathetic human. Yeah. And yeah. I really see this as an incredible time where previously folks who have not even thought about how their behavior was impacting others, it's the light bulb. I don't know if you heard that. I just snapped. Like I the did. Light bulb, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the light bulb is on for yeah. a lot of folks right now. We have a lot of folks paying attention and wanting to participate. And I have heard from a lot of men. I wanted to call this book, but I'm one of the good guys because okay. yep. I heard that over and over again. Like, you know, every, almost every man I talked to was like, but I'm a good guy. Like I'm a good guy. So I know that men thought there was nothing wrong a lot of the time. Like they, they thought they were doing well. And if they're, and if they were hurting people, they, a lot, they're like, tell me how, tell me why, and tell me what I can do differently. Right. It um, is, there's this yeah. really interesting uh, type of, I'll call it ignorance, not in like a, a, a hyper negative way, but just an, un, I, I, I guess a better word would be lack of awareness. Um, because like I, I will, I can, I can claim that, that I'm a good guy and I am, I'm a good, I am a good, <laughs> I am a good guy. Um, yeah. but I've shared, you know, when I met my wife, our first, um, intimate encounters together, um, it could have just as well been Aziz Ansari, Aziz Ansari story. Like this, what was happening for her and what was happening for me were not the same. And it was yes. not clear and it was not communicated. So actually, I get that all the way through. Like, I am that guy. I'm 100% that guy. And um, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome and amazing to, you know, for, for you to have, you know, caught that because it is such an important sort of entry point that, but I am a good guy. And um, yeah, I, I think your book is, is fantastic. And I am glad, I'm glad you wrote it. I'm glad a woman wrote it and you specifically. Um, and I want to make sure we have plenty of time to talk about the book because there's so many, there's so many things that we can cover in there. But before we get into specifics, um, I mean, what was, what was the process? What was the best part of writing this book? And what was the, the worst part of focusing on men? And, and I'm guessing you must have talked to many, many, many men, right? Oh and my God. Yes. <laughs> yes. I talked to men all over the, I mean, again, I'm used to this, right? Because that's right. my job. Right. Um, but definitely, you know, a project like this, you have to speak to men all over the country from every different ethnic background, from every different class background, from every region, right? Oh, man, right? Because what's quote-unquote normal or acceptable to folks raised in New York City, for example, versus, you know, someone who's living in rural North Carolina, flipped to the other side of the country, like a Latinx kid in South LA, a first generation Guatemalan new mother in Florida. I mean, like, you need that, right? In a, yeah. in a, in a book like this, like, you've got to yeah. hear what everyone's saying. So we talk to, and by we, I mean me, um, <laughs> I don't know why I do that, but I've caught myself. So the royal we, all the Cleos, we talked to really 75 people across the country and included almost a total of 100 sources um, in this book. And I will say the best part of it, and we, I will, like I'll tell you specific stories because that's what makes this book, but um, I cried. <laughs> and I, I never cry in interviews, but I think that people, men were so candid and genuine about where they were with all of this in their lives um, that I cried for the pain that they wow. were feeling. And... Sometimes I had tears of joy because it was just so wonderful and heartwarming. Um, I mean, and this book could have been like a total 
mess because it was so ambitious, but I knew that it would be excellent because after years and years and years of reporting, like I was getting goosebumps with some of these interviews. Wow. So, yeah. So you have officially been let in on the same secret that I have been let in on, which is, yeah, the, the true hearts and, and the, the, the true details of men's life. I, I feel like, um, I mean, I'm so glad it's, I have your book in my hand. I'm so glad that it's like out there, but that's what I've been telling people in private conversations for years now. It's like, I have been let in um, to hundreds, if not thousands of men's real personal lives. And, and what I have found there is uh, generally very, very deeply well-intended and actually very beautiful. Um, so yeah, mm. it's an, it's an interesting curtain to, to get pulled behind. And um, that's why I'm so excited here is that I can't, I can't wait for more of the, for that to become more of the norm. I mean, is how, how kind of crazy, if we like step back, how crazy is that? That like a massive swath of our population, like we kind of have no idea what's going on with them, you know, on a large level. It's kind of crazy. Right. Well, and we, so I'm trying to, and I want to like give specific examples here, right? But um, one of the interesting, so the way that the book is structured is that uh, each chapter is based on a different area of your personal life from dating to sex to money to work, parenting, friendship, media consumption. Um, and the friendship chapter, like kind of the least interesting, you know, on the surface, I was like, ah, male friendship, but we obviously had to include it because I was getting a lot of questions from guys who were like, Listen, I've got a friend. He's a good guy, but he says racist or sexist stuff. Ah, and it just feels it. like with everything going on right now, that can't fly, right? How yeah. do I call out a friend without losing that friend? Or can we just like, or can we just let it go under the rug, right? So, and I got that question so many times for people now. So... The, that's the question to start with. And oh, and I'll tell you the story because it's actually kind of funny. All right. So also, so every chapter starts with a personal question that someone, when they found out that I was writing this book, these folks came to me. They were like, thank you for writing this book. I have a story. You need to hear this. Like, what do you think about this? So here's this guy, um, 40, in his 40s, uh, I think based in LA. And he came to me and was basically like, okay, I've got this friend and he's kind of one of these machismo types and it's refreshing that he's so machismo because all my other dad friends are really woke. But this guy will text me things like, hey, wake up fat ass and let's hit the gym. So he finds that he, it's funny to him, right? <laughs> yeah. But he did say yeah. this friend also, I'm painting a picture for you because we all have that friend. Yeah. Also, yeah. sorry. When, okay, so when, when the couples all hang out, this friend also has a habit of like stirring the pot between the men and the women so that, you know, this guy, Jim is his name. He wrote into me. That's a fake name. But um, Jim says, it feels like this friend is always trying to start a war between the sexes. And it's just an odd thing because it's like, well, dude, we're all married. So like, what are you trying to do here? Yeah. Um, but he makes jokes about his wife being his first wife, you know, like there's another one coming and openly talks about, you know, not being happy in the marriage. So anyway, Jim's like, I used to laugh this kind of stuff off, but it feels like something is just different now. And so he describes this one scene. He's like, like most recently the two couples were out to dinner and they were there with their kids and the kids are kind of chatting and the wives are chatting and the two guys are sitting next to each other. And his macho friend kind of leans over and he's like, Hey, Hey, look at this. And he takes his phone out and he shows Jim his phone under a table and it's a naked woman. And that's just weird. It's weird. That's just weird. <laughs> right. And Jim's like, wait, well, he like looks at the guy and he like looks at his wife, the wives talking and he just like, what the fuck are you doing, man? And so 
that he and he's like is he telling me he's cheating on his wife like right there with what so anyway um that kind of kicks off the question of like how do you and jim said he's like listen i also don't want to be the guy that calls out someone because I don't need him turn a, I don't want to lose him as a friend and make things weird, but I also don't need him turning around and being like, Oh, what you're perfect. Right. Cause I talked to a lot of men and that's like one of the biggest fears, I guess, if you kind of say something about like, dude, that's not cool. You know, it's very easy to get that turned around on you. Like, Oh, what you've never done that. Or right. You, yeah. Right. Um, so, okay. Friendship chapter. Right. Sorry. Long-winded story, but it's a funny it's, one. No, it's uh, a good one. Yeah. It's it a is. good one. Okay. So that kicks off the story of like, all right, is it just locker room talk and is locker room talk okay? But the real question there is, well, how come guys are always doing locker room talk? Like, what's right. that about? Right. And what we reveal in the chapter and what research has revealed about this is that you know, if you look at young girls and young boys at a very, very young age, they all form close bonds with their friends in the same kind of way. There's no gender disparity there. They love their friends, they hug their friends, they kiss their friends, and, you know, rely on their friends emotionally. And then, quite young, boys, little boys get taught that it's not like they're not allowed to rely on their friend that it's like not boys don't need their friends. Like that's a girl thing. They don't kiss their friends. Don't touch your friends. Like that's a girl thing. Um, And so quickly, very quickly, right. A little boy gets taught. Don't touch your friends. Don't love your friend. Like that's like, that's a girl thing or that's gay, which Right. There's so much homophobia breaking baked into that. But yeah. So from that messaging, right? So then as boys get older, they don't share emotionally, like verbally, with their friends because they've been told to kind of like hold it in and be on their own. They they're not encouraged as much as young girls are to share with their family what's happening in their interior life. And so As men age, um, and one researcher talked about this with me, she's been studying adolescent boys for like 30 years, right? And she was like, this is just a really, really interesting thing that happens where like, if you catch a boy in ninth grade, you you might be able to say like, who's your best friend? And he'll, you know, like point to this guy and be like, he's my best friend for sure. We're super tight, blah, blah, we talk about everything. And then if you check in with him, as she would do this, right, over her research, right, check in with those same boys each year, those friends just became downgraded, downgraded, downgraded until, like, senior year. You're like, yeah, that's my boy, but what do you guys actually talk about? Right. Not that much, right? That's so interesting. Do you think that correlates, or did you hear any data that correlates with dating, and do you think that that has... Did that come up as something that played into that? Um, you mean like, and because when boys start dating, they start talking to their partners more yep. than their friends? Yep. Um, I didn't hear that, but I think that's prob like, because we know, right? I mean, there were a couple articles that actually came out this year about this, that um, women's magazines were writing that women are tired of bearing the emotional labor yes. with their male partners. Yes. You know, they're like their therapist, their partner, their mom that, and you know, look, I'm, many men in my life don't have close male friends. Right. No. Um, and so, yes, I think that that probably starts quite early. Um, well, and- I, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm just kind of making this up on the fly and I'm not a, I'm not like a normal uh, subject here probably, but yeah, I in high early high school, I remember, you know, my buddies and I started to have partners, romantic partners for the first time. And um I I just you know, I've worked with adolescent boys and I've worked with adult boys, adult boys, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've worked with lots of adult boys and um I you know, it is real. It is real that uh men oftentimes 
the only person they feel safe uh, being emotionally intimate or, you know, kind of sharing their heart with is their, is their partner. And um, I just, for the first moment, I, or first time I'm actually kind of correlating that with the adolescent stage and, and how that begins there. And again, I think I was abnormal in the sense I had really close um, guy friends in all through high school and we were in a band together and played football together and we drive around endlessly for literally for hours and hours and hours. And we just talk and listen to music and, uh, and all that. So I think I'm, I'm, I am abnormal in the sense that I've always had lots of male friends, but I can see it all around. Um, and you know, as you talk about this friendship chapter and what men are missing and what they need in some ways, you're almost, you're almost verbalizing like a perfect uh, business plan or sort of pitch for the reason that every man should exist, which is that men uh, keep all of their burdened emotions inside, which is bad and they're lonely. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's that. So when I started um, uncovering a lot of, that sentiment, that feeling in my interviews, I just thought, wow, this is, nobody talks about this. I mean, a little bit, right? Because we know there's sort of a mental health crisis among men in this country that's getting a little bit more talked about. But that saying hurt people hurt people, like, shit, man. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I really thought, okay, there's, yeah, I mean, that, that chapter in general really like kind of cracked me wide open in terms of empathy. Um, Yeah. I I was just having this conversation earlier today and I'm curious, like I was, I was taking a review of my life because we're talking about the, um, the fact that men hurt other people and themselves, which they do in insane statistics, right? But I was asking the question, how many people, like, do you know, or that's what I was asking, that purposefully, maliciously hurt people? That like, you know, that somehow, and the answer for me, and I might be just too eternally optimistic and naive, which may be partly true, but I just don't know that many people that, that like, want to hurt people. I just haven't met many people that are out there to hurt people on purpose, but the amount of hurt that I see uh, caused and had is immense. And, and I think, yeah, that, that phrase hurt people, hurt people. Um, I hope, and I, I really just hope that that be, can become uh, more of a cultural uh, pillar and understanding because I think right there lies an avenue or an opening to start making changes in a big way. Totally. And I, you know, here's another story that just came to mind. It's, um, this isn't necessarily hurt people, hurt people. It's like oblivious people hurt people as well. Yeah. But, um, the sex chapter, which, uh, yeah, it kind of deals with the, I'm sorry, gray area because I had found that that story of, of Aziz Ansari and that date was so almost like a Warshock test. Depend, you know, how you felt about that um, really said a lot about how you felt about the national conversation happening right now anyway. And it was really interesting because it was not at all along gendered lines. It wasn't like women really felt for the female in that date and men really felt for men. Like it was the, ran the gamut. I talked to like one public school teacher in the Bronx, a woman who was like, come on, like, yeah, that wasn't like ideal, but that's like every day I had in college, right? That's a bad date. She could have left. I heard from men who, who had often like had women who had told them similar stories for themselves, like their wives. um, And they were like, that's wrong. Like we can do better than that. That's not acceptable. So that, the sex chapter kind of like really like claws into that and looks at like, okay, how did we get in this situation? How come everyone is saying like, that's every day I had in college and in my early twenties, like, how can we do better? And it opens up with a story from a guy who I, again, he came to me and was like, I heard that you're doing this book 
and I heard that you're tackling this story. I really want to tell you mine because it's, this has been gnawing at me for years. So his story was from all the way back in 2011, but it's still fresh on his mind because of the Aziz Ansari situation. And basically he was kind of described himself um, as like a loner type uh, down in DC and a late bloomer um, who on New Year's Eve was out with his friends and one of the girls in the group, he was platonically friends with her, but he had a crush on her. And so they're all out partying for New Year's Eve. Then he goes, the ball drops, and then the, part, the group kind of disperses. And so he invites the girl back to his place, and she comes, but another guy from the clique also comes. So they all go back to his apartment. They're, like, kind of drinking, playing cards. And then eventually the guy, the extra friend, the third wheel, is kind of like, all right, it's getting late. I'm going to take off. And the girl is like – Apparent, I mean, this is back in 2011, it's before Uber. So she kind of had said, Ugh, it's going to, you know, like I live across town, the ca cab is going to be really expensive. I don't want to take the metro at this point. So he's like, well, you can spend the night here. And she's like, you sure you don't mind? He's like, no, that's fine. So she says, okay, I'm going to go put on my pajamas, which he takes as bingo. I'm in. It's on. <laughs> it's on. Yeah. So he gets into bed. She comes out. And I, I don't know how much this matters, but he said the word pajamas. I said sexy lingerie. He's like, no, like straight up pajamas. I think he, so anyway. Right. Right. Um, yeah. But then she gets into bed with him and he makes a move. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, like we're friends. I thought you offered just to let me spend the night. And then he's like, okay. So he pauses maybe for a minute. And then he's like in his head, he says, granted, I was inebriated. So I'm like, not totally sure. But I think my thinking was like, all girls say no at first. So I yeah. got to go back again. Yeah. And so then he says, he really aggressively tried to pull down her pants and her underwear and like really forcefully make it happen. And he's telling me this and I've, you know, like I'm listening to this and like my stomach gets in knots. I can see. So he thought like, okay, now me, I'm going to be really clear that I want to get it. And she's obviously very upset and is like, what the fuck? Stop. Get off of me. She jumps out of the bed. She goes and like shuts the door and like sleeps on the couch. He says, then he like lies there all night. Like, oh my God, how did I, how did I get that so wrong? What did I do? Yeah. And then, you know, I didn't talk to her, but he tells me he went out the next morning and really apologized and that he was really grateful to her because she heard his apology and that according to him, at this point, years later, they're actually quite good platonic friends. Wow. But um but that that's oh this has always stuck with him because it scared him that he had gotten it so wrong, right? Yeah. And, and that, you know, I just, this, that's too common, right? Yeah. I, I bet everyone listening to this has at least one version of that. Yeah. So we talk a lot in the book about like, okay, it's not like, that's not illegal. That won't get you thrown in jail, but you, we can do better than that. Yeah. Like we don't want that. You don't want your date going home in tears in a cab. Like that's not what we want. Uh, there's so, there's right? not a single grain of that. That's good. Yeah. There's, 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 there's <laughs> nothing about that whole thing. That's good for anyone. For anyone, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so that's kind of like, you know, I'll let folks read and like dig into it. We kind of like give you like, all right, like how did we, how do we get so fucked up where we like think that that's like just quote unquote, like a bad date. That's like normal. Right. And then like, how can you have a hookup that is way better than that? So we offer the book is pretty much like, you know, starts with a story that pretty much everyone can relate to yeah. and 
a little bit of like anthropological um, or behavioral context for how we got there and then kind of like leaves you with practical tips so you do not find yourself in that situation again. I, you know what? I love the, I love how you um, condense them down into questions. I just sort of like uh, marked a bunch of questions that I thought were, these could be the, uh, we could create like a, a, a curriculum that each one of these could be the theme of an everyman group for a week. So to do that. I okay. don't have to reconsider my porn habits. Do I, or do, <laughs> or, or do I, that's the question. <laughs> How, to, how do I raise a son to be a good man when I don't know what that is anymore? That's such a good question. What we got she, that one, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> what if she makes more than you? Boom. Should men mentor women? I mean, these are just, these are just like, I mean, should you have to watch every day? This is my, maybe my favorite. Should you have to watch every damn word that comes out of my mouth? <laughs> right? Oh my God. How yeah. many times I'd, sorry, I'm like, I love this book so much. Even if I didn't write it, I was, I would think like, that's brilliant. Um, but I loved the work chapter. I heard from so many men that were like, I, this one quote hearsay, I didn't hear it, but it was reported back to me, um, that a CEO at a company male said to his male employee who'd gotten dinged for sexual, verbal sexual harassment, he takes the guy aside and he's like, I know, I know it's just a really shitty time to be a man right now. It's, oh, man. It's like, look at me. I have to watch every goddamn word that comes out of my mouth. Um, it's great. Oh, yeah. Man. I wonder if, <laughs> if, if when we look, I'm so curious about like 20, 30, 50 years from now to like come back um, and revisit, you know, these examples, that example, like that example exists to revisit that in 20 or 30 years is going to be fascinating. Well, it really will. I mean, let me leave like with one story from the work chapter that, you know, and again, regionally, this is another thing, right? Because so this guy um, down in North Carolina, I want to say a paper worker, um, but I might've gotten that profession wrong, but okay. So work chapter. So he finds out I'm writing this book and again, Thank you for finally, you know, pulling the veil back on this topic. I have some bullshit to tell you. And he <laughs> writes this story where, okay, so he worked at a company and one day he walked in and I think like the assistant of the CEO was eating a donut or something. And he said he had a really, you know, like kind of like, candid rapport with her so he goes I'm just gonna make up her name right but he goes something like Tina you better put that donut down or you're gonna get fat and your husband's gonna leave you and she goes <laughs> she goes he'd never leave me I'm too good on my knees oh my god <laughs> and then okay so scene so like that was it for that part and then a couple hours later he walks into the break room and there's a bunch of people there, like other coworkers. And she's in there and she's working on paperwork. And I guess she's sucking on a pen while working on the paperwork. And he goes, oh, those must be your oral skills that your husband's not going to leave you for, huh? Oh my God. And he like walks out of the room and doesn't think twice about it. Next day, gets a call from HR. Can you come in, please? They're like, did you say this? He's like, yeah, I said it. But like that's no big deal like that's what we do they're like you know they do an investigation confirmed he said it he loses his job and yeah. he is at a loss for how that happened so i and i tell that story <laughs> because i'm he came to me and was like what the hell and i was like wow Oh, I think you do have to watch the words that are coming out of your mouth, my friend. <laughs> but it is, I'm like, will he in 10 years read that story that he told me and be like, what the hell is I thinking? Or 
I mean, right? I don't That's know. a fascinating question. I would yeah. love to know the answer to that in 10 years. We, we, should, we should put a note on our calendars right. to follow. Yes, to check I, I, in with I, him. I, yeah, I <laughs> want to know the answer to that. I mean, it's, yeah. And then, what, what, the, oh, shoot, I lost my, I had another question. Um, oh, I just think it's so funny. Um, I want to say this on the dating chapter. The question is, is everything you were taught to do now considered creepy? <laughs> I think like that that question is poignant too because uh, first of all I don't think many people were taught how to date which I think is part of the problem here yes. um in general and like taught by what taught by who like yes. bad, bad comedy sitcoms and and like older brothers who just you know were trying to get a rise out of you by talking about shit I don't know you know like um so when you so in these chapters when you when you go through them and you and you come up with practical what's some of the practical takeaways for I don't know talk friendship or dating or, or whatever comes to mind to you first like what did what did you learn from doing this a couple big ones for guys to take away Okay it sounds simple and it is simple but it's not easy the two underlying lessons of this book are one communication but i we not i right i offer the advice from others that i talk to about like exactly how to communicate mm. because we're not taught to communicate and i conducted a bazillion interviews with with conflicting messages like you know i talked to some women right talk about the dating right we talk about um the the topic of whether to pay for dates was surprisingly came up over and over and over again. I heard from a lot of guys like, it's very confusing right now. Like everything I was taught to do is now considered creepy. Take for example, and they brought up the paying for dates over and over again. Some were like, that's how I was raised, but sometimes I'll ask a woman and then she's offended. Or sometimes it's like, if we're all going for equality now, how come I'm paying for her? That doesn't feel right. And I talked to some women who, you know, based on how they were raised, they had opinions on how that should go down. But they, I would ask them, oh, well, you, I mean, you clearly feel very strongly about this. Do you communicate that to your date? And they'd be like, no, that's something he should know. And I'm like, how would he know? <laughs> you don't even know how you feel about it. So um, communicating, being really yeah. like, yeah. Oh, right? And just kind of candid, like, Listen, just ask each other. Just be exactly and, and figure out. So, okay. So, so many people come in this book being like, what's the right thing to do? Tell me, what is the right thing to do? And I kind of turn it back on them and I'm like, you need to get really clear about what is the right thing for you. Like, do you, is it important to you that you pay for dates? Is that something you like to do? Does it make you feel good? That's how you were raised. You want to continue to do that? Then have that be your rule and communicate that to your date and say, listen, it makes me feel really good to pay. How do you feel about that? Isn't and that so simple? It's so simple. But then, and then it's like, and then someone will be like, yeah, but yeah, but like, what if she's like a modern woman and that offends her? And I'm like, then she might not be the right person for you. Yeah. <laughs> so don't, don't date her. That's right? what, that's what I'm hoping this like future, and hopefully it doesn't take 20 years, but like that level of obvious slap you in the face, how to deal with these. It's crazy to me that that's a big question still. It's just, it seems so stupid. Like, should I pay for a date? Like, who the fuck cares? I mean, just, <laughs> just figure it out. Like, well, really? I'm telling you, when was the last time you were single? Well, before 2000, right before 2004. It was actually the beginning of 2014. Oh my, and that is a time. Yeah. There is a tipping point at 2014. And there was uh, one quote yeah. from a guy that I love, super succinct. He just was like, I have not been single this entire movement, but I feel like I got out just in time. I would be terrified the entire time. And that's I feel like- so interesting. Yeah, that's how a lot of people feel. Um, yeah. So yeah, so one communication, and it's like really simple, like duh, moments like that. But yeah. then also, um, I encourage folks, right, like to think less 
about what does a good man do? What does a good woman do? And more get really clear on what a good human does. And if you are walking through your life really clear, like not oblivious, not like, oh shit, I didn't mean that to come out like that. I didn't mean to touch her there. Uh, Sorry. Like if you are sure that you are conducting yourselves and you've really thought about how your behavior is impacting other people, then you're probably like, you're good. And if you do fuck up and if you do hurt someone, apologize, like apologize, own it. Most people, I think what, you know, where we are right now, like we kind of all have to understand, like we're trying to make new patterns. So there's going to be fuck ups and you just have to own it and, and trust that like you're coming from a good place. Listen to what the person says, correct your behavior. Don't do it again and move on. Has there been any uh, public or like celebrity type in the news examples of, of a man fully owning his, his bad actions? Like all the way fully. That, like, that's like satisfying. Yes. You, yeah? Yes. There, it's generally agreed upon that there is one example of this. Which one? It's a man named Dan Harmon. Okay. Um, who has a very popular pod- podcast, Harmontown. And Dan Harmon is the creator and former executive producer of Community. Remember that show? Oh, that yeah. The commu- yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So he's quite popular, you know, in many circles and has a popular podcast. And on... So this is like how this all went down. All right, Dan Harmon tweeted something. Maybe this, I might, I'm a little blurry on the details, but basically a year or two ago, Dan Harmon tweeted something about someone who had fallen in a Me Too scandal that was kind of like, this is all, like, this guy's bullshit. And a woman hopped on his tweet and was like, basically like, people in glass houses should not throw stones. Whoa, yeah, got it. And... A couple weeks later on his podcast, he talks about this woman. And it turns out that he, what he does on this podcast is give like a full confessional and a full apology. That basically when he was working on community, there was a young female writer um, who's now, I'm not going to name her just, but it's the, it's public out there. You can look her up, but she's an EP now on, um, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. She's quite successful herself, but that's who called him out. So she had been a young writer on his show at the time and he had a crush on her and it was very obvious to everyone. And he gave her a ton of attention, even though a, he was her boss and B he was in a, you know, like live in relationship with another woman. Okay. She was really like, I'm not interested and please don't do this because you're making it uncomfortable for me as a young writer on this team of mostly men. And I, I, you know, am I actually a good writer or what? And he just kept lavishing her with attention among all the staff. And it was obvious. And then eventually when she spurred him enough, he got pissed and like kind of blew it up and started treating her really poorly. Uh. And she then talks about how like that really with her because she was like new to the industry and she never knew like was I good or was it just because he wanted to get with me and then it it just right 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 right? so he issues this full apology and says like I know that I would never have treated her like I did if I had seen her as a human and not as a woman which right wow wow And someone told her, you need to listen to his latest podcast episode. And This American Life did a story on this whole apology. So you can... Oh, cool. If someone's interested, they can hear it from both sides. But what she goes on to say is that then she listens to the episode and that from her, she was like, when I heard him confirm that what had happened had, had happened... He confirmed it and he admitted to it. It was like a weight was lifted off of her 
because yeah. he was the one person that had the power to confirm her experience and apologize for it. And, and for people who experience like abuse or discrimination or assault or harassment, part, we know this, right? That like, it's not just the incident itself. It's the gaslighting and the yeah. denial and the, that happens afterwards. That makes it even more traumatizing. So for him to own it and be like, you are right what you thought happened did happen and it was wrong. And I am sorry. Was so, was it was such a big deal to her? Oh, thank God there's one. Yeah. Thank God there's <laughs> one. I mean, that's obviously, again, this, this future that I'm envisioning 20 years from now, I really hope like, you know, the majority, if not all of human beings can go back, look back on that and be like, God, what the fuck were we thinking? Yeah. Why could we not just be honest? Like, I know it sucks to hurt people, but my God, like, why are we covering this? Why are we still, why are we continuing to hurt people on top of that hurt? It's, it's insane. It's, it's insane behavior. It is insane behavior. And people will tell you like the stakes are too high, right? Like I don't want to lose my job or my career or face with my community. Um, yeah. You know, shame is one of the most motivating emotions we have yeah so but i will say we're you know i there's a lot of um really negative conversation and emotion rightfully so that happens around these conversations but this book left me with more hope than when i started so i you know it's did it leave you with hope dan yeah, and but I'm sitting here. I'm like this this hope guy. I'm this optimist oh, guy oh, you are an because I'm already sitting in this yeah. place of um, I know it's possible for this stuff to change. I actually know exactly how we can do it. I'm seeing it happen. I'm living in this bubble where people are reversing this type of behavior and living in a different way all around me. So, but but what I am I'm I am what brings me even more hope is to connect with you and other people who are beginning to. Um, we're aligning and having similar, you know, s similar takes on things. And we can look at this from a, um, from a, from a human perspective, you know, both with like, you know, really one of the things recently I, I can't, I'm obsessed with is just how vulnerability, vulnerability and accountability together, like multiplied to me seems to be the stance um, that can help us get through this mess. Like we have to be vulnerable and all the way honest and we have to be held accountable. And I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go listen to that Dan Harmon thing right away because that seems very important. That seems like that's, that should be splashed all over the news. That's a big deal. And that's, that's, um, I'm, I'm just excited to hear about that. And I'm bummed that I didn't earlier. Yeah. Listen, um, listen to the this American life episode about it. Yeah. Um, it is, it's funny because I ask this over and over again to people I interview, like, is there one example of, because we all agree we need a path to redemption. It's not enough to like call people out and then have nothing for them to do. Like we're not casting out yeah. people yeah. Um, in our community. So, and everyone was like the Harmontown apology. That's it. That's it. That's the one. Got it. Well, I, I am hopeful and, and I'm getting more hopeful by the day. And what really I feel happening here is that, you know, the, the emotions and the hurt and the, the pain of all of this, as we give it more space and time, I think we can see underneath that, that the problems are things that um, we really can. It's, it's, it's education in some ways. We can educate ourselves and each other to communicate better and we can educate and practice to, to have more, you know, general empathy and treat people. It, it is, that's why I'm hopeful because I think it comes down to learning some skills, really, really, really critically important basic skills, but they are learnable. You know, that's, that's why I feel hopeful in, in the yes. future. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I love your book, and I um, I suggest to to all anybody listening to to give a to give it a look. It's called Modern Manhood: Conversations About the Complicated World of Being a Good Man Today. Um, 
And yeah, guys sitting in our everyman groups, I think some of the questions uh, baked into this book would be fantastic themes for your weekly group. I think that would be an awesome, uh, an awesome thing to bring to your group. So, well, we should, I, uh, <laughs> I'm around. So also let me know if you want me to attend. I would love to work yeah. with people. Um, yeah, but thanks. Very cool. Oh, thank and, oh, and last you, yeah, oh, absolutely. And last thing, right before we leave, you got to go to, to an everyman in Brooklyn, an everyman event in Brooklyn recently. I did. And I cried. <laughs> it was so moving. Oh, well, that's what most, that's what happens to most people. They cry. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a pretty profound experience. And I don't yeah. know. I, I, I have had, you know, a lot of female friends that they ask me this whole year that I've been reporting it, like, Oh my God, what are you learning? What did men say? What are they thinking? And one thing, you know, and I've told them about every man um, and the groups, right. They're like, Oh, how uh, do they have a dating app? And I'm like, no, but all you got to do is kind of like position yourself outside of an everyman group. And the one <laughs> like, that's the, that's the funnel you want to use. <laughs> um, Cause I'm just so impressed with all the work that, that happens. in those There's groups. actually been a few uh, marriages now that have happened from women hanging around the door of, of every man. <laughs> Yeah. True story. I'm not the first one to come True up with story. the idea. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. Well, thank you so much, Cleo. I'm excited for you and your book and uh, really appreciate your time. Cool. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for listening. I hope you pulled some, uh, some real value out of that. Shoot us a note. Follow us on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, look at our website. We have weekly newsletters that I love uh, writing and sharing with everybody. One way you can support us is simply to share. Share this podcast, share a newsletter, uh, share anything that you can with the men and the women and all, all the other humans in your life. Um, life is good right now. Uh, I'm pretty grateful and happy and excited to be able to continue to do this show and do this work that uh, is so fulfilling. I hope you have a great week and see you next time.